Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. Coming up on the Money Beat podcast, we've got yield curve control in Japan. We've got a hawkish hold in the United States. It is Central Bank Day. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome to the Money Beat podcast on this uh, Central Bank special. It's no longer Fed Day. It's no longer Fed Day, not just Fed Day. It is Central Bank Day here in the markets. We waited until 4 p.m. so we could see what the markets did. So now we know that stock markets in New York uh, rallied hard after the Bank of Japan meeting, which occurred basically overnight our time, and then the Fed meeting this afternoon. To talk about it, myself and Stephen are here in the studio. We are also joined by our markets reporter, Corey Drebush, and on the telephone, Chris Gaffney, who is president of World Markets at EverBank. Chris, I appreciate you taking a little time. It's a pleasure to be here. It is great to have you. So, all right, let's, uh, you know, I mean, let's start with the most recent thing that uh, just happened that we were all following, which is the Federal Reserve. Uh, They have their two-day policy meeting, ends today. They come out with this statement. They do not increase interest rates, which was what everybody expected. They heavily hint that there will be one interest rate rate hike later this year. There are two meetings left. One is in November, right before the election, then in December. So everyone is guessing that it will probably be December, not November. Uh, and then they talked a lot. <laughs> so, uh, Chris, let's bring you in. I want to get your take on, on what you made out of the Fed meeting. Yeah, I sent a note out right after uh, uh, the decision, and Yellen had just started speaking, uh, and it was titled Deja Vu All Over Again, because, uh, you know, this is basically exactly where we were last year at about this time. I mean, uh, the Fed's kind of backed themselves into a corner again. Um, you know, the, the, the data uh, really don't support a rate increase at this point as far as, you know, what, what they've been looking for. But they're getting to the point where the markets and even members of the Fed um, are, are kind of saying, enough, we, we've got to raise rates. You know, we, we, we said we were going to raise rates. Uh, we've got to go ahead and do it. And, and that's similar to what happened last year when they, you know, waited till the very last, um, last meeting in order to raise them. And, and it looks like that's what we're going to get again. One of the questions is a lot of people are looking at this and being like, but will they? I mean, I really felt there was a cynicism that was sort of pervading the market. Like there, there could be a possible, you know, there's going to be some kind of turmoil around the globe in <laughs> yeah. the market that so the the Fed could use as an excuse not to raise rates. What's your thought on that? There's always a reason not yeah. to do it, and and I wish they would have done it. You know, they and I know hindsight's twenty twenty and Monday morning uh, quarterbacking and all that good stuff. But uh, you know, they, they really had a chance uh, uh, earlier in the cycle to to get it done when when things looked a little rosier. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, there's always going to be something out there that um, they could point to and say, look, global growth is down. China's uh, having some trouble. Um, you know, Brexit votes coming up or. Are, are the the decision about uh, whether or not UK is going to be able to negotiate with the EU? I mean, there's all kinds of global uncertainties that we're going to see um, that could prevent them from raising rates. And you know, there, we're we're kind of in this negative interest rate, our low interest rate loop um, that we seem to be stuck in and 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 look to continue. But uh, all in all, I mean. 
uh, one thing I think uh, that's interesting is, is you know, Yellen says, look, the, the economy is not fitting into any of our models. So I, I think they've almost thrown their hands up in a way and, and wanted to step back and say, you know, I, I think it's best not to do anything. Um, they're so afraid of, of, of right. acting that they've, they've got into a position to where, you know, uh, they just want to sit and wait and see what happens and kind of not do anything at this yeah, point. Yeah, you know, it's funny you talk about cynicism. One of the, the strategists that, that I am on her distribution list and, and she sends out notes, you know, her, her post her post-fed note was really just a link to a YouTube video and it was the song The Stripper. Like, you know, like, and her point was they are just teasing us and they're never going to raise rates. Well, I I was going to say, like, just, oh, sorry, Corey, you you step in. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, Chris, this is Corey. Um, one thing that I thought you mentioned in one of your first notes before Yellen spoke that you were really interested in her tone. Right. Did you have any, I mean, did that make anything more clear after her, after her speech? I think it's 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 got to be labeled as a hawkish tone, although you know because she's all but assuring that we're going to move we're going to move in December, and that um, and 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 the reason we're going to move in December is that things are going to be better by then. Um, we're going to see signs of inflation. We're going to see GDP growth. Um, so again, she's she's remaining a bit data dependent, um, but um, yeah, I mean her tone would have to be called hawkish but um again uh you know is it is it going to uh meet with reality and and that's the uh, the big question and i know everyone is saying so cynical but there were three dissenters this time around that doesn't that mean something that maybe people on the fed are also kind of getting to the point where they want to see action and there's three others that said they wanted to keep rates where they are until the end of the year also. So, um, you know, it's a split Fed right now. And, and yes, uh, absolutely. And um, uh, I think all of the rhetoric out of the Fed, all of the, the talk coming out of the Fed members is actually confusing the markets more oh, yeah. than, than right. adding clarity to it. And, uh, um, you know, I, I really I, – I, I hate to admit it, but I kind of long for the days back when, you know, Greenspan, you, you, you measured, um, you know, what was going to happen by how thick his briefcase was and, right. and how much, you know, what he was reading as far as uh, what, where, where we were heading. So, um, you know, in their attempt to become more, uh, to add clarity to the markets, I think they've done just the opposite. Right. Well, uh, look, let's, let's take a break there. And we are going to hit you up with this important message. And then we'll come back. Well, we'll focus on the Bank of Japan a little more when we come back. Hey, this is Stephen Perlberg from the WSJ Media Mix podcast. Are you interested in the biggest changes in the media and advertising business from Facebook to Snapchat? Tune into the WSJ Media Mix podcast for interviews with some of the biggest names in media, from Gawker CEO Nick Denton to Turner President David Levy. For more, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome back to the Money Beat podcast on this Central Bank Thursday. A lot of big meetings. Uh, we talked about the Fed, uh, Paul, Stephen, Corey, and 
Chris Gaffney from Everbank on the phone with us. Talked about the Fed. Uh, I wanted to switch gears and talk about the Bank of Japan, but I think Grosser, are you still? No, I actually want to, you know, sort of. Oh, you want to switch gears too? Yeah, and actually sort of tie them together. It, very, it feels very much, and this is a phrase that we were sort of tossing around the newsroom this morning after the Bank of Japan, and I think it applies to the Fed as well in our conversation right now. It seems very much like the central banks don't want to break anything. Like that's like <laughs> that's their, yeah. their sort of policy mantra because you sort of saw that with the Bank of Japan where in many ways their statement, you know, the, the policy changes were contradictory. They want to keep, you know, the, ten, the yield on the 10-year, the interest rate on 10-year at zero. Right. But they're still going – and they're going to buy as much or as little bonds to do that. But at the same time, they're going to still keep buying, you know, what, 80 billion or however many right. they're – Right, uh, right, uh, right. That, uh, those two those things – don't work. Right. <laughs> it's it's possible if everything was totally copacetic, that could work. But you're right. Uh, the market pressure should push one of those things out of whack. Yeah. Yeah. And they are absolutely closing their eyes and wishing and crossing both fingers that the curve's going to steepen. Uh, I mean, right. they – they absolutely want their curve to steepen. And it did steepen at first, but then the markets kind of, uh, um, you know, uh, kind of threw it back in their face and it flattened back out a, a, a few a few minutes after the announcement. But, uh, um, yeah, and, and again, you know, what they've done so far really hasn't worked too well. And, uh, um, you know, they are... They're they're searching for the answer, and uh, I think they they continue to search. and And you know, at one point they were they were feeling like they had to do something. They have to do something. And now, uh, just like the Fed, I think everyone's taking a step back and, and saying, "Hold on, maybe it's better if we just kind of let this thing play out and see what happens." Yeah, I, I think it's amazing. You know, you you look at. The Bank of Japan, essentially, in my mind, what they did was they, they kind of acknowledged that negative rates were a mistake. Yeah. Yep. I mean, by saying we're going to hold the 10-year at zero, they basically were saying we made a mistake with negative rates. Well, it's also, too, I mean, there's, I mean, in my opinion, and maybe I'm you know, completely off base, but there's only so long you can go with negative rates because of the pain you're going to inflict on your financial institutions. It kills the banks. It yeah. kills the banks, and you're in this negative interest rate loop that I talked about earlier where – you know, bank earnings drop because of the negative interest rates. So then um, the banks don't lend as much. So then the economy slows because the money's not rolling over. Right. And then the central bank comes back in and says, oh, we, we got to go even further negative. And, yeah. and, you know, it's that loop. What, do, what, do, what do you think this means, seeing what BOJ is doing? Um, what does that mean for the Fed? And how does that tie kind of the Fed's hands with when they try to implement this tightening? I know that's been kind of this big, overwhelming question. Well, I think all the central banks are scared to death of getting it, turning Japanese. Uh, I think all the central bankers, um, the ECB, um, the Fed, um, even the, uh, the Bank of England, they're all afraid of deflation. It's, it's that big big, uh, uh, scary monster in the room that nobody knows how to deal with. Inflation they can handle. They, they jump rates and, and they feel like they can quash inflation. Right. Deflation is what they're all afraid of. So um, they were all looking to Japan to try to give them guidance on how to, um, how, how to adjust their policies to, do, um, you know, to deal with it, and nothing has worked. So um, I'm not so sure um, the Bank of Japan has much credibility left with investors or 
other central bankers at this point. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, maybe it, uh, maybe the, it's a fade now. Maybe, maybe you, uh, uh, you kind of use it as a counter indicator, <laughs> if you will. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, you know, being primarily a writer, and I think the most amazing thing to come out of today was. The, these new phrases, the new nomenclature that we have. Yeah, QQE is QQE with yield curve control. <laughs> what was that? That is what the Bank of Japan is <laughs> yeah. selling. QQE yeah. with yield curve control. Yeah. That's what they're That's calling crazy. it. That's crazy. That is, yes, exactly. <laughs> and then here, the Fed, you know, everyone's calling this the hawkish hold. Well, what is a hawkish hold? I mean, that you you're, you look at these phrases and you say to yourself, what do these things actually mean? Mm-hmm. And that makes you wonder, what do these policies actually mean? And what do these banks actually do? Like, you know, again, the global get, economy is not going anywhere. To, to get back to why people are are getting so cynical about this, these yeah. banks these banks are diving deeper and deeper into policies that they don't really understand because they've never tried them and they're not well thought out. And they, they're showing that they don't really know what is going on. And this is a persistent question in the markets now. Have the banks lost control? Do we have an exit strategy? No, Do we have an exit strategy? I mean, but right. I, I also wonder, uh, Chris, you mentioned about the Greenspan days. Maybe it's just that they're trying to be so open. I mean, have they ever had really a lot of control? I mean, the things are always a little experimental. No. You never know. Everything is always a little different than it was in the past. There's never a perfect example. And the other thing, too, is, like, you know, as much as we can criticize the central bankers, I think there's also yeah. the question of criticizing the politicians around the oh, world. My oh, of course. Oh, well, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a whole other podcast. Uh, listen, we, we have to wrap this up, so let's give Chris the last word. Chris, what's the, the one thing uh, our listeners should take away from today? Well, that rates are going to remain lower for longer. Um, I, I think we're in a slow growth, low interest rate, low inflation environment. Um, you know, diversification ultimately uh, works, and and that that's the only protection you can have is having uh, uh, slices of your portfolio allocated to all the different asset classes. Because you know, don't try to predict where we're going. Don't try to predict what somebody uh, the central banks are going to do. Um, you know, just uh, have a good diversified portfolio, and and you can uh, uh, see yourself through it. All right, we'll leave it there. Chris Gaffney, president of World Markets at Everbank. Thank you very much for your time, Chris. Thank you. All right, everyone, we will catch up with you later. Thanks for listening. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. The Claude 3 model family by Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. Haiku is lightning fast and cost-effective. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Learn more at anthropic.com slash Claude.